Listeners, welcome back to What We've Been Watching. I'm Laurie. I'm Phil. And I'm Benedict. Whoa, whoa what whoa, happened whoa, right whoa, there? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Listeners, we have a special guest with us this week. This is Benedict Seal, who has recently become the Super Baby Bros in Movie Land horror correspondent. You know, maybe not the best film in the world to debut with. You did The Bye Bye Man for us. I did, yeah. And that will be coming out on Monday, if you're listening to this on Friday. So don't miss this week's Super Baby Bros show. But you're going to guest for us with a film on what we've been watching too. I am indeed. Great. Okay, Phil, what films are you doing? This week I'm going to do Sing Street. You saw that one, you reviewed that on the podcast, but I've never said anything really about it Ooh. that much. So I'm going to have my little it's crack at burning a hole within mm. you. So, yep, Sing Street and also Freaky Friday, Lindsay Lohan, Jamie Lee Curtis. Nice what grown a great up choices fun film. film. Really yeah. good. Uh, I'm going to do Tombstone, the 1994 version of Wyatt Earp's, you know, later years around the OK Corral. Anyone, is this ringing bells with anybody? Anyone yeah, know about yeah, that? Yeah. yeah, well done, Benedict. Phil's looking <laughs> nonplussed. How dare you. <laughs> uh, we'll come to that. It starts Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer. And then also Six Days, Seven Nights, a bizarre romantic comedy starring Harrison Ford from the 90s. Benedict, what's your debut on the What We've Been Watching show? So what I'm film gonna- is it? I'm going to channel my inner film student and I'm going to go back to Orson Welles' uh, 1948, I think, The Lady in Shanghai. I feel like you're embarrassing us, Benedict. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sat here with Freaky Friday yeah. and you're there with Orson Welles. Ugh. That is very sophisticated. Can't wait to hear that. In fact, we're going to put you up first, Benedict. How about okay, that? Okay, I'm ready. Now, just before we do that, should we play the jingle, Phil? People have been clamouring for it, haven't they? Listeners, in case you've missed this completely, we used to have a What We've Been Watching jingle on the main podcast, and recently our listeners have been demanding that we return it to this show. So are you going to sing, Phil? I'm not, no, no, I'm not doing singing. It's you don't want the, to do it singing? Just the jingle. But they want the part, jingle, they get the that's jingle. That's part of the jingle. People no, like to sing along I refuse. To it. Oh, well, I think we should. I'll make you do it later. Okay, well, here's the jingle, and then we'll get going. So, Benedict, we're going to start with you. What's the film? The film is The Lady from Shanghai. If you're a sailor, Michael, there's a job for you. Would you like to work for me? I'd like it. I'm shipping out tomorrow. So are we, to the west coast by way of the canal. We short a man on the crew. I'll make it worth your while. Could it be this you're looking for? He was smart to carry a gun, traveling alone in the park, but... But if you knew you had the gun in your bag, why throw away the bag? I meant for you to find it. I I don't know how to shoot. It's easy. You just pull the trigger. So, in The Lady from Shanghai, this is an Orson Welles film, and Orson Welles stars as Michael O'Hara, who's an Irish sailor, doing a slightly dodgy accent. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure, I'm not sure. I thought sure. he was American. <laughs> Were you? Yeah. Yeah. And my girlfriend had no idea. No idea. But there we go. And so he's playing an Irish sailor. And in New York, in Central Park, he runs into Rita Hayworth's character, name I can't remember. And uh, they, Rita Hayworth kind of takes a liking to him and asks him along on her yacht, which is owned by her husband, because they are going from the East Coast to the West Coast Via the Caribbean and the Panama Canal. That is quite a sail. Yeah, right. It is. But if you're rich and if you've got the time, it's a a lovely journey, I'm sure. And uh, Michael doesn't want to do that. But while he's in wherever sailors get jobs, (laughs) he gets followed. I think, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe uh, Indeed.com. I still don't know. (laughs) Uh, He gets followed by Rita Hayworth's husband, who is like, no, you're coming with us. And he kind of gets dragged along to the Panama Canal. And then while they're down there, they're having a lovely time. And then things get a little bit sinister 
when Rita Hayworth's husband's business partner asks a very strange request of Michael O'Hara. He asks him to kill him. That is mm. quite an introduction. That is intriguing indeed. I expect nothing less from Orson Welles. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting film, and that I'm that I don't think that's a spoiler, but it does come quite a while into the movie. It's a slow burn. Is it an it's very much piece? a slow burn. Uh, it kind of is in a way. It's quite short. It's about ninety minutes, I think. But that first half, as they're in Central Park, and then they kind of they finally get onto the boat and they start swimming, and there's kind of some weird sexual tension right. between some characters that shouldn't necessarily have sexual tension. Not a lot really happens okay. until this bombshell, and then we kind of go into a full-blown murder mystery kind of noirish plot involving uh, in life insurance and all sorts of kind of criminal activity. Wow, man, I'm, you're making it sound incredible, I've got to say. Am I? Yeah. And with Rita Hayworth and Orson Welles starring, that's sort of enough anyway. Yeah, and I think, I think Welles is very watchable. His accent is very distracting. I couldn't really get over it, and I don't think it's very good. Uh, but does it, it affect his performance? You mean, can you still? Does he still captivate? He does, and I, I think he's yeah, very watchable. But there, there, it is definitely a boundary. Okay, there's something like there, there's no, it's not natural in a way. It's always kind of distant because he sounds so funny. Rita Hayworth is good, though not that scintillating. I haven't really seen very much of her. Okay. I know her more kind of. As, as the icon, yeah. Sure, as sure. the icon, indeed. And I was kind of... Like, I didn't necessarily... As I was watching the film, I didn't know it was her. I found it afterwards. I was like, oh, that's Rita Hayworth, that person I've heard loads about. She didn't, in other words, she didn't blow you away without she the She didn't, no. Right. But you joined the dots afterwards, and you're like, oh. I did, and I kind of get it, and she's there looking glamorous and blonde, and she sings at one point. <laughs> Lovely. Even though it's not her voice, I don't think. Um, but it's all, it's a it's kind of classic movie-style performance. Uh, but it's not necessarily Orson Welles' performance that is the most interesting aspect because he also adapted this book into the screenplay and directed and produced this film. Ah, there he is, the quadruple threat. He, he's got it all, hasn't he? He does, he really does. And there is some really interesting stuff directorially, uh, especially in the final act. Uh, there are some court scenes that I think are really, really interesting and feel very modern in the way they're written. They're very snappy. Uh, they're funny, but it doesn't feel like a joke. Right. It feels like you've got witty characters. Uh, and there's some very in- very fun performances from some of the people in that courtroom. And good physical comedy too, because there's a guy who has to put himself up on the witness stand, but he's also one of the lawyers. So he then interviews himself. Okay. okay. Right, I'm getting it, yeah. And he's doing this in front of a crowd, so it's very much like he's performing. It is meant to be funny. It is, okay. yeah, it is. It's, play, it's played for laughs, but it is also witty and snappy and has that kind of excitement the courtroom scenes can right, have yes, when you're cool. like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. He's convincing this jury of X, X Y, and Z. Z. Yeah. yeah. Where does this film land? Is this post-Citizen Kane or before? It is. This is seven years after Citizen Kane, I 1947, think. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that is one thing. I was watching this film and I was like, this is interesting work and it's quite ambitious and visually interesting from a young filmmaker. Then I realized that he'd already directed Citizen Kane. (laughs) And truth be told, this cannot compete. No. Well, and that's what I was going to ask because when I think when people hear Orson Welles, they think there's got to be intensity in the production. There's got to be distinctive and interesting camera work, editing, angles, light, especially all that stuff. Is that in evidence, even if it doesn't hit Citizen Kane's heights? 
It is, but it feels like a movie that would have been made before Citizen Kane. Right. It's very strange. There's one terrific, memorable, iconic final showdown that I won't spoil where it takes place. Okay. But that is breathtaking, like really amazing. Uh, and I, I realized watching it how many times I've seen that iconography used elsewhere. Right. But I've never seen anything that used that iconography that took place beforehand. That was Man, you're doing the tease thing very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mysterious. So, so stick around. I think even if you're finding it a bit boring and then a bit confusing, because it very much plays that noir card of confusing, uh, kind of backstabbing and double crossing and triple crossing and all this kind of stuff. And you can kind of get lost in the actual beat by beat plotting. But if you stick around for that final scene, I think you'll definitely, definitely be rewarded. It's worth the wait. Yeah. Now, I've got one final thought for you, and then I'd like to grab a grade from you. Yeah, absolutely. When you describe the plot, it sounds to me like the kind of thing that Hitchcock ended up doing. And just the setup made me think, oh, it's going to be full of intrigue. And these characters are going to be masks that are totally inscrutable. And you've got no idea what is going on behind the scenes. And then when you're talking about the courtroom scene being funny, I think, well, maybe I've got that completely wrong. Like, where would you, how would you compare this to sort of Hitchcockian piece of work? Uh, it's got some of that Hitchcockian plotting and Hitchcockian ideas, but I think Hitchcock is very playful, but I still find his films quite serious. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this seems playful, but also in a kind of comedic way, more obviously and more openly. Yeah. And then I would say it's its own unique blend, really. What sort of grade would you give it? Uh, I think I'd probably go straight down the line B. A B, okay. Does that sound about right? Yeah, very solid. We like it's that. It's your grade. I'm, we're yeah. not going to tell you what to think. <laughs> uh, and as always, listeners, do get in touch on superbellybros at gmail.com or at superbellybros on Twitter to agree or disagree with Benedict. I'm intrigued, I have to say. Yeah, me too. Yeah? And Well, yeah. we, we haven't really favoured the pre-50s films very often, have we, Phil? We tend to be no. more 70s through to, well, last year. <laughs> we need to get a bit more, you know, dig deeper. So thank you, Benedict, very much. No problem at all. All right. Laura, are you up next? Yeah, why don't I do... Tombstone first. Okay. It was a place where a man could start over, where a fortune could be made. They say every town has a story. Tombstone has a legend. Who is he? That's Wider. Better name for himself as a peace officer. I heard of you. I'm retired. You must be Doc Holliday. You retired too? Not me. I'm in my prime. Hollywood Pictures presents... The only real law around here is the Cowboys. The story of Wyatt Earp. The first time in our lives we got a chance to stop wandering and finally be a family. Now this is trouble we don't need. If we're going to have a future in this town, it's got to have some law and order. What do you want, Ringo? I want your blood. I want your soul. I want them both right now. They shot your brother. Now the time has come for justice. Guess maybe you better swear me in. And he has to live up to his reputation. You got a fight coming. I'll be there! One last time. None of your problem, Doc. You don't have to mix up in this. That is a hell of a thing for you to say to me. In a battle. The last charge of Wyatt Earp and his immortals. At the OK Corral. Oh my God. The West would never forget. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me! Justice 
is coming to Tombstone. Whatever happened to the great, like, 90s vo- trailer voice guy? That sounded amazing. I'm pretty sure that is Red Pepper. I haven't looked at it, listeners, so don't, you know, kill me if I'm wrong. But, yeah, the, the man, the legend, he was just born with that voice, so I hear. When he came out, it was like, hey, I want some milk. Hey, hey, <laughs> yeah. Tombstone. That sounded like a great movie, I have to say. Genuinely, yeah, did we, yeah, were you entranced by I it? want to see that movie Benedict, that trailer. You, you like the sound of that? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Good, I'm glad you're not sure, because I'm just this a sucker. is ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, you must have been able to pick that up, at least. Ridiculously good? Well, you know we've talked a few times, Phil, about 90s action movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Die Hard and all that stuff. Well, no, Die Hard is 80s, isn't it? It's well, right 90s. at the end of the 80s. Die Hard 2 wasn't. Well, no, and Die Hard 2 <laughs> actually marks that sort of change. I think there's something that weird that happened. You get good 90s action, which personally, I would even include something like Tomorrow Never Dies in good 90s action. And it, it's got the sort of squibs constantly going off. Guns are about bangs and flashes and machine guns, loads of bullets and just more, more, more. Big explosions, loads of real sets, enormous budget, incredibly loud pistols, all that kind of stuff. And then there's really bad uh, 90s action, which is all those things, but in a way that makes you laugh now. It's like a circus performance or something. This one is kind of in between the two, and it has a slight trump card to play because it is about a real legend. Wyatt Earp? Yeah, Wyatt. Now, what do you know about Wyatt Earp, Phil? Nothing. I just heard his name mentioned in the tray like 12 times. Have you, you've heard the name, haven't you, before? Vaguely, very much in the back of my Benedict, mind. Benedict, what have you got? Do you know him? I know the name, and there have been other movies based around the character, haven't there? Oh, absolutely. Leading to the showdown. At the OK sure Corral. That's the one, because I think I've seen, I think, My Darling Clementine, which is a film that yeah, I've watched. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely yeah. right, you're right. See, that, that, that's probably kind of all I know. That's a much older characters. production. Did you enjoy that? It is. Yeah, I did, yeah. Wyatt Earp is one of these people who is, is, is a genuine legend. He's basically the Wild West lawman that enters everyone's head. He's the icon for it. There are old photos of him. He's got the big moustache, the General Custer-style moustache. He's got the hat. He's incredibly grumpy. Famously, he was involved in the OK Corral gunfight, which in many ways was the only actual gunfight that took place in the Old West. You know, Westerns would have you believe that kind of standoff was happening all the time. No, <laughs> there's one gunfight that is incredibly famous because it was witnessed by loads of people. There was some debates about why it happened, what the motives were. There was some debate about whether it was murder or strictly legal, and Wyatt Earp is right in the centre of that with his two brothers, Virgil and Morgan Earp. They came together as a posse wearing names, their black by the way. stuff. Sorry? Great names. And they're fantastic names. They strolled down to behind the OK Corral. They confronted some cowboys who were part of like a hustler gang sort of thing, told them to disarm. They wouldn't, and there was a shoot-up. It lasted about three minutes. Very, very famous. And, of course, Doc Holliday was there as well. So that must be a name you've heard, Phil. Yep. What are you, what are you reading? <laughs> I don't Come know on. anything about keep Wild up, keep West. Up. So, but the, my point is, it's so famous and it passed into legend that countless people have attempted to tell this story and people want it to be filled with drama and emotion and kind of real grit and Wild West stuff. And this film is sort of the culmination of all of that. It's taken it and made it an absurd myth where everyone's got a deeply involving backstory and there's real like heights of American heroism going on literally day to day in this tiny town of Tombstone. Doc Holliday is sickly. He's played by Val Kilmer in this film. He's completely pale and pasty and sweating and he's got this reputation as a lethal gunman. He's got a hair trigger. It makes no sense that he's friends with Wyatt Earp, who's played by Kurt Russell, who plays him as this sort of straight-laced, noble, heart-of-gold guy that you don't want to rub up the wrong way because if you do... He'll bring. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, it's exactly what happens. They spin it out for ages and ages. Everything goes wrong in this tiny town. The cowboys turn up. And although Wyatt Earp is looking for retirement and a quiet life, allegedly, he, of course, ends up becoming the law and justice when the law just won't stand up for what's right, Phil. He's got to take it into his own hands. You got it? 
Yeah, I've got it. But I have to say, man, all of this is just making me think this sounds like a great movie. <laughs> the thing is, you won't, you cannot really enjoy it because it is so cheesy and ridiculous. It just, it ruins itself. It ruins all its promise. There's this scene where Wyatt Earp takes this posse and goes hunting some people at some point. And there's, there's a famous historical account, I think told by Wyatt Earp himself, of confronting cowboys around a lake. Uh, most of his posse had to run and duck for cover, but because there wasn't any cover near him, he just strode forwards with his, uh, you know, rifle just shooting with everyone shooting at him. And it's like one of these famous moments like, whoa, did that really happen? That was uh, when the legend was born. Well, exactly. That, that was the kind of thing that really built up this legend. And so what does Kurt Russell and the directors and the writers do with this historical event? Do they play it, you know, understated so that it's like, whoa, that guy... I can really imagine that. Or do they get Kurt Russell to go like this? No! 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 And his eyes to light on fire and just like look like he's gone insane. It's what, Which one do you think they chose? Uh, well, knowing you, Laurie, it's the second one. Do you think it might be? Mm. Well, that's where I got the impression from, yeah. I mean, there's not really that much to say about this film in detail because it is just so ridiculous. I think it is in the bad action category trying to get away with it by making the excuse of it being about a legend that people want to believe all this stuff about. I think Kurt Russell is ridiculous in the film. He's not good because his character is scripted so poorly. I, can't, I kind of, you know, you, you'd want to blame it on the script, but I sort of blame it on Kurt Russell himself because he's not, you know, he's not a puppet, is he? He's a guy who inhabits the character and has a responsibility to say, my character just can't do this. Like, I can't play it that way. I can't do it that melodramatically because I've got to be a real guy, surely, at some point. So yeah, the whole film fell apart for me. It's sort of in the C-plus category because you might enjoy it for its ludicrous 90s-ness, but not a good film. So does it tickle the kind of classic Western iconography boxes? Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about um, ladies of the night uh, <laughs> in houses, in you know, upstairs in taverns, yes, they're all there. And of course, Wyatt Earp and his crew are the people who really understand them, you know, and show them the true kindness that they deserve, that kind of thing. It's got shootouts. Johnny Ringo, you might have heard in the trailer, he's also a real-life outlaw. He died under suspicious circumstances with a bullet to the temple. This film has its own creative way of <laughs> making that happen, uh, involving Mexican standoffs and quick draws. Uh, there's a lot of tough talk between cowboys there's a lot of old guys trying to assert you know the nobility of what is right and just in the land including some preachers that kind of you know anything anything i'm missing i think you're covering it yeah. maybe all that's missing is a gold rush you know yeah. <laughs> oh, damn there's but none of that. is this just the product of the, the the 90s then is this just a period piece almost in the sense that it's 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 a 90s film and that's what the 90s were all about these bigger and not quite films. because i think they certainly will tell, teach you about filmmaking in the 90s but it's not a good 90s movie the thing that really drives my sort of disappointment with it is that I think it's regarded quite highly by people who are into westerns. Yeah, I think that's... I've always heard Tombstone's quite a good film. It's a very highly produced film. It's not a good film. <laughs> well, there you go. I think that's enough for me on that, yeah. Shall I brighten the mood with uh, Sing Street? What do you mean brighten the mood? But yes. Yeah, Sing Street. Your mother and I really are under a lot of pressure at the moment. We had a look at our accounts and... We're taking you out of school. We're not taking you out of school. We're transferring you. You'll be new then. What's your name? Connor Lawler. Shut up! We have a black shoe policy here, Mr. Lawler. They're brown. They're quite sensible. They're not black. Who knows what this new prison will do for you? This is your time. You see, it's beautiful. How come you're not in school? I'm a model. Cool. Do you want to be in a video for my band? See, if you're in a band, sing me a song. 
take on me. We need to form a band. What? Connor's putting a band together. You'd play every instrument on mankind. Probably. Sure. It's all about the girl, isn't it? What's this? Homework. Have school in the morning. This is school. Rock and roll is a risk. You risk being ridiculed. Have you kissed her yet? She's got a boyfriend. Pulled off in his car, music blaring. What was he listening to? Genesis. No woman can truly love a man who listens to Phil Collins. So the guy with the car. It's complicated. As long as you're happy. You are truly on a hero's journey. Are you up to that? I think she's just an amazing human being. Big, big Connor. End of term disco at the school hall. I say we ask if we can play it. It's our first gig. It's gonna be amazing. I'll try and come. You have to come. There you go. What a fun sounding movie, oh, you don't you it. think? Yeah, I mean, you already know, Phil, I absolutely adore this movie. You, in fact, reviewed this on the podcast and it was uh, a bit of a shame because you endorsed it 100%, but then for whatever reason, this film just wasn't widely released in cinemas. Well, I had a couple of problems because the distributor encouraged me to rave about it early. They were obviously trying to build hype, so I reviewed it then. But then it, it was delayed. The release date was delayed later than it should have been. And then it had a limited release. So all that early hype seemed to just peter out. It's such a shame. Mm. Well, I'm thrilled to say, Laurie, you got it 100% right. This film is great. It's so much fun. It follows Connor, a guy who, as you heard in the trailer, he's got to move schools and he moves into this new school and then he meets a girl and he thinks she's wonderful. That's right. And the only way he can possibly think to impress her is he's going to start a band. And so you get to watch a, a teenage boy discover music, discover good music and discover all the trends that go with it. The three main people, the girl and uh, Connor and his brother, those are kind of the main centrepieces of the movie. And all of those guys are super. They're really hitting their roles well. I think the big brother, Jack Rayner, you said it was his name. Yes. He is great. And the movie, I think, as a whole is so much fun, but there's a bit more to it. I think hearing that trailer, you might you can kind of almost picture the movie in your mind. You think, oh, it's just a bit of fun, lighthearted rom-com, bit of silliness, bit of music. But actually, I think it kind of does that Billy Elliot thing, which is it takes the idea and then adds in a bit of social commentary, a bit of sort of meaning, a bit of family drama. Uh, Connor's parents are kind of in the process of maybe getting a divorce in Ireland in the 80s. Well, in the 80s with the economic downturn, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so there's a bit more to it all. There's this sort of backdrop of Ireland being a difficult place. And maybe, just maybe, so these young people might just escape and go to London. Maybe that's a possibility for them. It's the sort of big dream for all the teenagers, isn't it? Yeah. Benedict, you've seen this film, haven't you? I have, yeah. Were you, were you a fan as much as Laura and I were? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm totally on board. Um, I really loved Once, and I didn't quite like it as much as that. I didn't think it quite had the kind of, uh, the depth, but also it's kind of rough and readiness. Yeah, sure. And that felt really raw and real. And really emotional to me. Whereas Sing Street is completely the opposite and it's very much a mainstream film. It's the sort of film which I feel like pretty much everyone would enjoy yeah. some aspect of it. It's so funny. I think what I was really enjoying is the fact that the jokes don't distract from the narrative. They're not building up to a joke. They just weave them in very subtly. And if you don't notice them, you don't notice them, but the film carries on. It doesn't sort of look at the camera and say, laugh now. It just sort of 
bursts out of you. Oh, it's utterly a part of who the characters are and the situations they find themselves in. A lot of it relies on the fact that everyone remembers being an awkward teenager. Like everyone sort of dream, or not everyone, most people dream of the idea of being in a band. And so the little faltering steps they make make a lot of sense. You know, I have to say, like, I was blown away that John Carney can do humour because, as Benedict says, Once is an incredibly serious piece of filmmaking. It's got areas of, you know, moments of lightness to it, but it's very, very, like, got a lot of gravitas. Yeah, it's heavy. And it's totally rooted in socioeconomic stuff, whereas this is so light and airy. I, I was amazed at how different the tones were. But then you look at um, his other film, which was a bigger commercial film. It's Begin Again. Begin Again, starring Keira Knightley and Mark Ruffalo. Um, I think that kind of what you get if you cross begin again and once is probably Sing Street and it seems that music is such a big part of John Carney's film uh, the films that he wants to do the films that he wants to make and the music thankfully is really really good in this film the songs that this band Sing Street that's the name of the band the, the songs that they make are just so lively and fun and what's really great about them is they seem to sort of show the progression of pop in the 80s and as you see them sort of pick up The Cure and Duran Duran and all those sort of little quirky outfit things. changes man I yeah and that. the outfit changes are <laughs> hilarious the the highlighted fringe oh it's what so bad it's hilarious did you never were you ever tempted I don't think our dad would ever let us that's a good point actually it took me a long time for them to allow me to have hair gel full stop anyway but talking about this <laughs> film I think if you haven't seen Sing Street you really should it's really good fun it's funnier than you think it is. The music's good and there's a bit more depth to it than you might imagine. I found it. It's one of these films, Phil. I'm building up a bit of a track record for this where I had the tears flowing freely for me the first time I saw it, which was in a screening, right, in London, <laughs> surrounded by all these other people. I couldn't hold the tears in. I think the end especially, there's much more poignancy than you'd expect. Interesting. I saw this with a friend of mine and uh, she said the ending was the worst bit of the film. Really? So maybe there's a bit of disagreement there. But I think the overall journey of the film is great. And I do think there's a couple of scenes which are dramatically brilliant. There's one scene with uh, Connor and his big brother, which I think is really, really hits the nail on the head about brotherly relationships. It's tightly scripted as well. Mm. And in fact, the film is even dedicated, uh, it said, four brothers. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. So overall, I think I'm going to give this film an A. I really enjoyed it. I think it's great. Do see it. And then you can agree with me and say it's brilliant. Thank you very much, Phil. Right, Benedict, you're actually going to disappear now. We've managed to take up too much of your time. Thank you very much for sticking with us and joining us on what we've been watching. Oh, it's been wonderful. Thank you. And uh, thanks for your thoughts on The Lady from Shanghai. You put yep. us to shame with your class oh, and sophistication. Well, you know, try my best, I suppose. <laughs> you try very well. Uh, do email in if you have any thoughts. And you, we're, we're saying you can give plus ones and minus ones to Benedict if you'd like. I, I'm ready for it. Yeah, Good. I'm am, glad yeah. to hear that. And make sure you catch Benedict's uh, review of Bye Bye Man, The Bye Bye Man, sorry, on the Super Belly Bros podcast, which is out on Monday. And yeah, great. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. All right. Bye, Benedict. This, Bye is, Benedict. this is like a sort of funny podcasting because we're saying goodbye, but for listeners, they're not going to hear us, you know, put down the microphones and then come back together. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How do you want to do it, Benedict? Me. Would you like some sound effects? Why don't we paint a picture for the listeners? You're sailing off on a barge. <laughs> Bye, Benedict. Travel safely. Goodbye. It's a, been a wonderful voyage. There he goes. Off he sails. Right. Should we do a couple of emails, Phil? Yeah, let's. So we've had a few emails and tweets come in. I'll start with some tweets from Esther. At Super Betty Bros, I saw Les Mis without knowing all of it was singing and a thousand hours long. <laughs> uh, I had to whisper sorry to my husband halfway in. Ouch. Oh dear. It also had way too many close-ups of actors' faces. Very bizarre. That's, That's what, what I said, yeah. She finishes off plus one to Phil. Yes, because Les Mis is boring. It is boring. Yeah, disappointing. That's a real shame. I think we all hoped it would be better. 
Yeah, it's, I really wanted it to be great, but it's not. Thanks, Esther. We've got an email here from Dr. Nick, and she says, plus one to Phil. This is a worrying trend for a spirited defense for Age of Adeline. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm, enjoyed and agreed with comments and analysis also of Ghost Protocol. Not quite a plus one, though. That is a plus one implied, isn't it? Implied, not explicit. Therefore, doesn't count. <laughs> you can, I'll put it in a little implied in brackets along your counter. Whatever. And then uh, this is, I don't quite know how to take this. She says, I'm intrigued by Laurie's review of the Hank Williams biopic. May you give it a go. So even though you, you were a bit down on it, she still, it still had a bit of a hook to her. Well, I guess that's good then. At least I haven't turned people off from watching it, but I, I'm, I hope I made my reservations clear. Do tell us what you think of that, Dr. Nick, when you watch it. Okay, and one here, Phil. Are you ready for this? Mm. This is a good one. Uh, the title is Harry Potter 3 Worst Film Ever. Okay. Do you remember know what this is in reference to? Oh, is this an email? Because in the Christmas episode, we went through all the Christmas movies, we said Harry Potter 3 was the best one. Certainly. And then I think, is this from Stephen's wife? We had an email <laughs> from Stephen... <laughs> who said his wife absolutely hated Harry Potter 3. Is this it? Yeah, we, we said we want to hear more, and so she has given us more. Are you ready for this? Yes. <laughs> she says, Firstly, I'll let you know I completely agree that the cinematography is really great, the filming is the best, but that doesn't make it the best film. Here we go. Number one, making children wear their own clothes to be better as their character is not acting. <laughs> if you're a good actor, you can act in whatever clothes you're told to. You're playing a different person. If you can't act that person in a wizard's robe, the clothes they should be in, then you just can't act. Uh, it's a funny, well-made point, but I disagree. Well, I think uh, that's good direction. Yeah, no, I completely agree, Phil. And what I'm afraid you haven't said there, uh, Stephen's wife, is that the acting is bad. You just said you don't appreciate the way that it was done, because I think the acting is some of the best. I think it is some of the best, Because yeah. of this, I think he recognised the limitations of his actors and did whatever he could to get the best out of them. And if surely the best sort of acting is when not even acting at all. A little bit debatable. I think method actors would disagree. Okay, by adding in stupid scenes like the sweet scene in The Boy's Storm, this is number two, instead of writing in key plot lines, is stupid. I, I, I can see what you're saying again. Like, why have they wasted time doing something new which isn't in the book when they could have done something which is in the book? But I think actually that sweet scene... It's all kind of layering this sort of transition between happy, fun Hogwarts with the sweets and the, the silliness and the staircases moving into the sort of darker undertone because they pull out and it's all very gloomy and dark and then the, a Dementor flies past mm. the window, doesn't it? Yeah, I remember that very well. So it's all about contrasting, I think, and well, it it's, has but a it's purpose. It's filmmaking. It's turning a book into a film. I think this is the crux of it, actually, uh, Stephen's wife. She also adds, you know, there's that bit where Harry and Lupin discuss the Marauder's map. The film never bothers explaining why Lupin knows anything about it. And again, I think this is really interesting because I just think that's good filmmaking. The filmmakers saw that in the script and thought, you know what, actually, we just don't need to do it. There's enough here in the way the characters are, in their reactions, in their layout of the story that we don't need to tell people. They can just experience I it. I do think, I, I agree and disagree, Stephen's wife. I'm sorry, because... It, I see your point. It is a bit annoying because it's kind of like, well, how do they know? And you're filling in the blanks because you're a reader or whatever and you know what's going on. But I remember, I don't, I've never even noticed that in the movie. It just kind of flows really nicely and naturally and the map serves its purpose to the film. It doesn't explain everything but it gets you to where you need to go. I completely agree. Okay, there's three more of these. Let's move through quicker. <laughs> Number three, Harry's crying scene and Neville being eaten by the biting book. Just yeah, those terrible. are bad. They're bad. They're bad. I mean, we've already said that, actually, in our review, didn't we? We highlighted Harry saying, he was a friend, as terrible. But it, again, it doesn't matter because the construction of the film is so good that you can forgive the terrible acting. 
I, I think we're kind of on the same page, but looking at it for different reasons. That's it. Okay, number four, Harry discovering that Peter's in the map rather than Lupin, as in it being Harry who's the one who spots it, is really frustrating because then Lupin says the map never lies, and therefore Harry should straight away know that Peter is still alive, but that just gets totally sidestepped. A big spoiler before the end of the film where we're told that Peter is still alive. I know what you're saying there, uh, Stephen's wife, but I think Harry could be just that stupid <laughs> i think like the film he doesn't he just doesn't join the dots up i think that's okay even in the book you kind of have these odd little moments but then it doesn't really the penny doesn't drop until later on in the film anyway yeah number five in the final one here the way they make it so obvious that hermione is there and they're not there it's something they're not meant to have any clue about until dumbledore literally tells hermione to use it at the end of the film it's just a bit annoying because it gives away some of the story now I think if I had to crystallise your point is here, Stephen's wife, I think you just love the book and the film didn't do justice to it. And that means that when you watch the film, the ways that things are revealed or hinted at and sort of presented to you is inadequate to you because you already know everything that is to pass. And how it should be. Exactly. Whereas for people who have not read the books, I think this film feels by far the best because it just moves along at a really great pace. But I do sympathise because I think how you feel about Harry Potter 3 is how I feel about Harry Potter 5. Oh, totally. Massively because that film feels like a roller coaster. The whole film is just moving, 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 it's moving. It's like a moving. slideshow. And it just doesn't feel like there's anything at all like the book in there. There's no personality to it. I, I think Phil and I both agree that was when David Yates took over and instantly disliked by both of us, I think. Yeah, Harry Potter 5 is the weakest one for me. He's a great example of taking stuff out of the story and then failing to compensate with actual good filmmaking techniques, whereas at least Alfonso Cuaron knows what he's doing. He puts in something for a reason. Yeah. But having said that, Harry Potter 6 I like and Harry Potter 7 Part 1 I really like. Harry Potter 7 Part 2 is awful, though. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, all right. That's it. She says, uh, thanks for letting me vent. Well, apologies if we <laughs> then just went on and on venting back at you. Uh, Mrs. Stephen. Thank you very much, Mrs. Stephen. Stephen's wife. Thank you. If you'd like to vent at us, feel free. You can reach us at superbaileybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbaileybros. And believe it or not, we do actually quite like those sort of emails. Oh, I, I enjoyed that them. email. Yeah, definitely. And now, Phil, we are running long on this episode because we have Benedict in and I think we've just taken our time a little bit. Uh, so we've got two more reviews to do. Are we going to speed through them? Yeah, let's do that. Great. I shall do six days, seven nights. Ready to go. Is it safe to fly? It is with me. Well, you're that good, huh? I'm the best you've ever been with. I'm not sure I trust your equipment. We may be old, but we're sturdy. What kind of work do you do? I'm an editor for a magazine called Dazzle. Ten ways to light his fire. You know how a woman gets a man excited? How? She shows up. That's it. We're guys. We're easy. Two strangers on a flight to Tahiti are about to make an unscheduled stop. Whoa! Can we reattach it somehow? Oh, sure. We'll, like, glue it back on. So how do we find them? Well, we're going to fly over the water and look out the window. It's a boat. We wouldn't be on this island! I'm the best pilot you're ever gonna meet! Ah, I've flown with you twice! You've crashed half the time! Sometimes I just want one damn thing to go right. The most romantic vacations. I need you to be my confident captain. That's my job. Are the ones you don't plan. Don't worry! Winnie is going to take good care of your girlfriend! What do you mean by that? 
I'm sorry. You're kissing me? No, for this. Laurie, what did you do? I can't see the video that goes with that. Uh, that uh, scream was them jumping off a big cliff into uh, the sea. You didn't yeah. like <laughs> to attack no. her or something like that. <laughs> no, no, don't you worry about that. And uh, I have to say, I mean, the one thing running through my head during that trailer was innuendo much? I mean, come on. This is made in 93 and is full of cheesy little scripty moments like that. Is that not a bit of fun? Well, that's the question, really, isn't it, about this entire film. Listeners, this is, as the film made very clear... Starring Harrison Ford as Quinn, a gruff island-dwelling sort of plane pilot, and Anne Heshi or Hetchy, starring as Robin, who is an ad executive in the city, an engaged ad executive who takes a holiday, and along the way, stuff goes wrong. You can hear, but what actually happens is someone who barely was even in the trailer for reasons that are about to become clear, David Schwimmer, basically playing Ross, <laughs> is her fiance in the film. It's so weird. It's so weird. What? Like, you just got to, like, David Schwimmer in the 90s, he could, he just cannot get away from Ross. And it was like watching an episode of Friends. Every minute he was on the screen, it was, te- I feel so Was he playing a Ross character? Yeah, they, they hired him for that reason, obviously. Oh, no. It's awful, awful, awful. But anyway, they go to this uh, lovely romantic island. It's a getaway that he's planned for them. And he immediately proposes when they get there on the beach. And then she has to go back for a meeting because she's sort of half married to her job. And that's kind of the point. Uh, and so she has to go with Harrison Ford fly the short distance in his plane along the way there's a terrible storm as they're trying to turn back something goes wrong they crash land and i think you could probably pick that up from the trailer so right. they are stuck together this kind of freewheeling old hand takes life very gently quite rugged harrison ford guy and this young sort of very career driven uh, quite troublesome ad executive and heshi you know the opposite to track don't they phil on an island wouldn't you say I mean, I wouldn't know, but there you go. <laughs> uh, it's very, very obvious. That, like, the film's cues in terms of setting up the romantic drama are so obvious, you'll be able to guess the ending within minutes of the film even starting. Like, David Schwimmer could not more be the guy that she is the destined... <laughs> exactly! To sort of lose interest in. I'm sorry, I mean, it's so obvious, I don't even mind spoiling it like that. And Harrison Ford could not more obviously be the more rugged real man that really shows her what life is all about and whisks her away from her life in the city. There's no surprises here. There are little minute glimpses of wit in a very basic script. To be honest, it's the kind of film you watch because it's so sunny that it feels like a holiday, but there's not much more to it than that. There you go. So you've got great already? That's it. I mean, I, in a way, I could keep talking about it, but it's so basic and so obvious that there's not really much more to say. I would give it a C plus. It's average, similar to Tombstone. Maybe I shouldn't, actually. Maybe I should give it a B minus. <laughs> it had more interest to me than Tombstone did in the end because Harrison Ford is always good to watch and he plays it quite self-consciously and surprisingly he's quite good at comedy he's there to be a comedic actor slightly playing against type like he this is around the time remember that he was playing uh, Jack Ryan of course uh, and also in Air Force One so to see him playing an older sort of washed up <laughs> romantic interest is quite different the sort of film it is, is if you want to have a nice evening in with your significant other, maybe with a blanket, roaring fire, that kind of thing, pop this on and it's very non-threatening, but it's not very exciting. All right, Phil, last one for you. Freaky Friday! Anna, honey, wake up. Oh! <laughs> I have had it! <laughs> what? I'm ready. For the Coleman family, Mondays are manic. Bye, honey! Make good choices! <gasps> Wednesdays are wild. And Tess, there's never enough time to really understand each other. What? Time's up. It's after 
but on Friday. You think my life is perfect? You couldn't last one day in my high school. Okay. <laughs> That's all about to change. Because things are going to get a little freaky. Why am I in Anna's room? This isn't mine. Those aren't mine. Uh, That's definitely not mine. Walt Disney Pictures presents... So, you're in my body and I'm in your body. I'm old! I beg your pardon. Oh, I'm like the Crypt Keeper! Freaky Friday. Why don't we like... Yes, a jolt! Go! How warm and friendly is that? Forget about your holiday movies and going to Tahiti. This is a much more cosy film than that. I know what you're saying, Phil. This was on over Christmas for us. And it, man, it's got a good feeling to it, hasn't it? It really has. It's just nice. And I mean, it's classic premise. It's the old school premise. It's in fact a remake of an old school premise. 1970s. Freaky Friday. You've got uh, a young girl, um, this time played by Lindsay Hohan, swapping Ho-han. bodies. <laughs> Lohan. Lohan. <laughs> Lindsay Lohan is swapping places with Jamie Lee Curtis, who plays her mum. And Lindsay Lohan's character is that edgy teenager. They've sort of modernised the, the concept. So she's all grungy and cool. She's in a band. She's got a rock band and she, she dresses really cool. She's got the kind of highlighted hair and all that sort of stuff. And she's she's still obsessed with boys and everything. Of course, yeah. And then Jamie Lee Curtis is sort of this psychologist sort of beginning to have a bit of a career takeoff. She's got a book that's coming out. She's got a TV appearance she's got to do. And she's about to get married to this uh, this other guy, this new guy. Uh, From CIS or whatever it is. NCIS, the, the actor. He's like one of the most well-paid actors on TV, but yeah. I've never seen a single episode of that show. And yeah, it just seems to work really well for me. It's not amazing. It's not the best thing ever. But for me, I really kind of love it because... Jamie Lee Curtis is just brilliant in it. She's had a stellar career, obviously making her debut in Halloween way, way, way back in the day as the original last girl standing. And now here she is, an older lady, without going into too much detail, and she's still making great movies and she's still got great screen presence and she's got really good comic timing as well. She's a bit of an icon. I remember her in True Lies. Have you seen that? No, I have not. Wow, that is a film and a half and she's pretty amazing in it. She does a really good job of being, when, when the switch happens, when they do swap paces... She's really quite good as Lindsay Lohan, I think. In a weird sort of way, she's better at being young than Lindsay Lohan is at being an older person. And you forget quite quickly what a weird thing that is for the actors to be doing, don't you? Yeah, and they have really good chemistry. And even though I'm saying Jamie Lee Curtis is better than Lindsay Lohan, Lindsay Lohan, I think, is is quite a good actress. And it's kind of a shame, really, that she's not managed to sort her personal life out because she was having a really good looking career I think yeah we've talked about this before when you did the parent trap it's easy to be nostalgic for what could have been because she was such a bright star in her youth wasn't she she really was and she's interested in this guy Chad Michael Murray the yeah, guy from right from uh, Lucas from One Tree Hill <laughs> and even he's quite good I Heart think throb guy he does a good job he's he's this sort of heartthrobby teaching assistant at a school Is at the right? high school or something like that he's he's not part of the school but he works at the school or something or other like that and he commits the role. He commits the funny sort of silly bits. He does a fantastically awful rendition of Hit Me Baby One More Time. Oh, yeah. Serenading uh, his love. And it's got the key thing with this sort of film is, you know, there's going to be those sort of episodes, those little weird little moments as they deal with the fact that they're not the regular person. So you've got uh, her mum is her taking the SAT test and having to kind of deal with the weird sort of frenemies you have in high school. Yeah. And the teacher who doesn't really like you. And she's sort of, 
she's classically the mum never believes the, the the daughter's side of the story and yet now she actually gets to see what the real side of the story is well and then ditto for Lindsay Lohan suddenly having to pretend to be a psychologist you know in her mum's body and all the stressful things of planning a wedding and yeah. also and also dealing with that awkward thing where you've got a fiance who obviously is still in love with you they don't <laughs> they don't know that you switch bodies so he's no. constantly trying to give her a little kiss and she's freaking out about that I think this movie is really fun and it'd be a shame for people to disregard it just because it's it's silly and miss out on just the good quality movie that you kind of want from these sort of movies. Oh, definitely. I think Disney's really on form with this one, Phil. I don't know what you think because they are free from some of the annoying signposting that is happening at the moment where they seem very keen to be like leading moral lights. Whereas this one, there's a real lightness and a deftness of touch. So the message comes across, but you feel like it's because the characters are learning about each other and they start off annoying and they still are annoying by the end, but they still learn the lesson in the process. And actually sense? the, that made some sense. Yeah. Like, away. <laughs> actually the little moral speech, if there is a moral or a little lesson or whatever it is, they're getting out of this experience. The, the concluding scene that kind of, puts it in there there's a nice little speech by Jamie Lee Curtis and I think it's a really nice speech yeah definitely and actually one line in particular is a favourite of our dads as well and it started to become a bit of a favourite for me as bit well bit of a tearjerker mm. what do you think of the song from her rock band <laughs> it's suitable for a Walt Disney film it's a great about rock I can band. still remember it we were just singing it together it's one of those songs <laughs> no one can remember the words great anyway I think if you haven't seen this film check it out it's good fun and it's a really family friendly film yeah right what's the grade I'm going to give it a B plus. I would agree with that. Nicely done. Oh, take a deep breath. That is a marathon episode of what we've been watching over and done with. Thank you so much, Benedict, for coming and joining us and giving your thoughts on The Lady from Shanghai. That was fantastic. Uh, looking forward to having Benedict back on uh, a couple more shows as well. Do check out the Monday show, the Super Baby Bros in Movie Land podcast, the main one. That's where Benedict will be reviewing... The Bye Bye Man. The Bye Bye Man. So do check it out. That'll be great. And also check it out just because it's going to be a great episode, isn't it, Laurie? Oh, it, oh they always are, Phil. Every week. <laughs> Solid gold. Uh, get in touch. Superbellybros at gmail.com at Superbellybros on Twitter. And we'll look forward to speaking to you again next week. Have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. What have you been watching? <laughs> oh, dear. Bye.